All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wine, Women, and Words. I am Michelle, and with me, of course, is Diana. And we have a special guest this evening. We have uh, the best-selling author, Holly K. Meyer. <laughs> Hi, Holly. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So this and is... Oh, sorry. Here you go. <laughs> And one of the reasons why we have um, Holly on is because though there's two reasons because she's my or actually I'm sorry three reasons <laughs> uh, one she is my editor extraordinaire she is actual proof because we've talked about my book here on the show and she has proof that there is a book it will one day come out um, and for sure so it has to come out it's a great book <laughs> <laughs> my goal is to have it out before I'm 40 um, so I've got three years. You can do, we'll do it before then. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Short-term goal is okay. Maybe by the end of 2018, but you know, I'm giving myself time for what ifs or screw ups or something. Who knows? Um, secondly, um, as you guys all know, last year we did, I did Boca de Oro Literary Festival in March in Santa Ana. And this year, Holly is going to be one of our uh, readers uh, there with her, book. <laughs> <laughs> with, with her book, which is one of um, one of the third reason why she's on, and that is her book, Choosing Hope. So uh, there's all, you know, in thinking of questions for this book, it was kind of hard to do so without giving away spoilers. I feel like I don't know. I'm okay. With, I'm okay, okay with that. But well, <laughs> well I, one of the this kind this is not a, a spoiler question, but I just thought it was really interesting. Um, I know as you're reading it, and I read your book in about 15 hours, not consecutively. Uh, I would I I started reading it when I first got it, and then kids. And then, you know, we knew that you were coming on the show, and I said, okay, then I really need to read this book. So I picked it up last night and started reading it, and I finished it this morning. And I was, like, brushing my teeth holding it this morning while wow. I was reading it because I, I hit the, the point of no return where you have to keep reading. But, um, but I noticed that, you know, all the chapters are dated, so it has, you know, January 17th, 2017, evening or morning. Yes. And, and I thought that was really cool that it was this year because it kind of felt like, even though it, it, it's a, fiction's, a fictional story, I felt like, oh, this just happened. Like, this is just this year for her. This has been a rough year. <laughs> <laughs> so was that kind of like, I mean, obviously you didn't write this book in January 2017 was that kind of like your conscious decision to put it in the future I guess as you were writing it um it I wanted it to be current and I knew it wouldn't come out until the future so it was intentional in that regard yes as far as having dates I did that because the first part of the book is on such a tight timeline that I wanted to be really clear that these were things that were happening all in the same day. I mean, a lot of the book happens in a week or two. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to be really clear on the dates and times and 
what was going on. And I wanted it to be in October. I picked that month because that's when we have our Santa Ana winds typically. And that really was helping set a mood for the book. I feel like the Santa Anas have just been like stalking us lately. Yes. <laughs> on the show. Well, and the, go ahead. Sorry. Because yeah, I've actually did research on them haphazardly because I've got an experimental book that I'm kind of like playing with every now and then writing a chapter. And because of all the horrible stuff the Santa Ana winds has caused recently, I decided that the Santa Ana winds are going to need to make an appearance. And the book takes place in 1922. And my husband's like, so were they actually the Santa Anas? And I had to do research on it to see if the Santa Anas were actually the Santa Anas in 1922. And lo and behold, they've been the Santa Ana since the 1800s, and they have been causing severe havoc in California ever since. Yes, and they were Santana. I mean, they're the devil's winds. Mm -hmm. I did research on it, too. My, my favorite author is Joan Didion, who writes about California, and she writes about Santa Ana's in her books that take place here. So it's kind of an ode to her that I wanted to have that included because we don't have seasons like other states so it when you want to set a tone it's safer to go with the santa anna's <laughs> and anyone from california oh i'm sorry anyone from california who's reading that book can go yep know exactly what you're talking about yes yeah oddly we're having them we've been having them the last two weeks worse than we did in october which is unusual it's what's been fueling all the fires here right now Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's funny. Somebody posted, they're like, you know, to the outside world, it looks like we don't have seasons in California, but in actuality, we do. It's called living normal life and then living on the brink of, a, of apocalypse. Those yes. are some seasons. <laughs> yes, so true. Because <laughs> I swear to God, when um, the Santa Ana's roll through, you feel like you're on the brink of apocalypse. You don't know if a tree's going to fall on you, if you're going to end up in Oz, or if all of a sudden there's going to be a fire just coming straight at your house. Yeah, the whole vibe and energy changes. They give me horrible headaches, but aside from that, and obviously the fires, I really like them. I like that kind of strange energy that it brings in. Yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, it's great that, you know, it brings in with the book too gives that feeling of that strangeness and you know that looking and it was you know you don't get the title i love the title of the book choosing hope um because in so many ways i mean even though i mean it's no secret from the back that um hope obviously from choosing hope um she starts to stray with a guy named adrian um, yes this mysterious guy whom it's kind of hard, at least for me, it was hard to determine whether or not I liked him from the get-go. I was a, I was hesitant um, from the beginning. And, but I think a lot of this is about Hope's journey. Just who Absolutely. she ends up becoming. And so I think that the name of the, the title of the book is so poetic. Um, was this something that you really had in mind for the heart of the story was her personal journey? Yes, it's all about her personal journey. So, and once I came, and the name came first, I would, before I started writing the book, I saw a bumper sticker that said, Hope Reigns. And, and then that kind of stuck with me. I thought, I want to use the name Hope, and I want her to end up 
choosing herself. So that's where it came from. I mean, it's a play on words, but but the main meaning is that she had to take this long, twisted journey to learn how important it was to choose herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, neither of the guys on this book made it to my book boyfriend list. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it no. out there. <laughs> not book boyfriend worthy. <laughs> they are the opposite of boyfriend worthy. Now, right. I, the when I first uh, you, know, you first meet Adrian and he's talking and I text Diana and I said, you know, I don't I don't think I like this guy like because I I had read read the back of the book when I first got it but I didn't reread it before I started reading the story so I didn't know what was going to happen, um, and then I just hap it happened to be upside down and I read the the sentence that he is not what he seems. I'm like, oh, I knew he wasn't good. It was all <laughs> too much about, about me and I. And oh, Yes, most of the women that I talked to who, who read the book said that they felt like something was really off with him from the beginning. So I'm glad that you picked up on the undertones of that. He's not Prince Charming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think if, if Hope had been more aware, she would have seen that too. She mm -hmm. was in such denial and in need of being rescued that she wasn't seeing all the signs that I think most of the readers are seeing before she picks up on it. You know, this is the second book um, recently because I've been listening to The Last Mrs. Parrish, um, which it kind of has a fairly I don't want to say necessarily say fairly similar situation but you do not have a book boyfriend within that book as well um but it's it's very caution yours is similar to hers where they're both kind of in many ways cautionary tales where you know you've got hope looking grass is greener on the other side kind of situation um she's allowing herself to get swept up in this attention and romance and then of course last Mrs. Parrish you've got the Prince Charming who is definitely not the Prince Charming um I don't know it's it's interesting and it's making me uncomfortable um I like my book boyfriends and I'm not comfortable about them <laughs> yeah I found it um interesting how many people had such strong reactions to hope especially mm -hmm. from women that were almost angry with her you know I can't identify with her I don't like her and yet I think she really represents a fairly stable percentage of the population of women where you know we see in the media women being portrayed as strong and making the right decisions from the get-go which is awesome I mean that's what we want to be role modeling but we have a lot of women out there that are stumbling toward that truth and the, mm -hmm. and it took a journey for them to get there. They mm -hmm. naturally kind of want to protect the men in their lives and believe in them and believe in the power that they have to bring them security and not seeing their own strength mm -hmm. naturally. And, and I, yeah, and the oh, woman's, uh, both her strength and her weakness sometimes is that nurturing capability where you just want to nurture everybody in your life, whether they're deserving of that nurturing or not. Um, you know, I think that's part of the reason why I maybe hope, um, and I forget her husband's first name. Um, Kevin. 
Kevin, thank you. Um, why Kevin, <laughs> why she maybe stuck around with Kevin as long as she did, not necessarily just for the kids, but because she wanted to, that whole nurturing, protecting thing. Um, yes. Yes. And I wonder if we won't see as many women like that with the millennials on up, if they are just being raised in such a different environment mm -hmm. than what Hope was raised in, even though she's not that much older. But it, there really was a different culture when she was growing up. It was. Yeah. I mean, and it's steadily changed. I mean, I've been binge watching The Crown. And you see how big of an issue divorce was, especially in that first season where Princess Margaret, she couldn't, she wasn't allowed to marry um, the man that she loved. Let's not talk married. about that. That makes me so mad that she couldn't marry him. <laughs> <laughs> but divorce was such a huge issue. You did not want to be a divorcee. I mean, and we won't bring up the crown. We can even talk about, um, oh, the new one, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel set in the fifties, which I, highly recommend um but her husband cheats on her and leaves her and immediately her mother's first reaction is what did you do and then it's oh my god you don't want to get divorced divorce is so wrong and then i think that that stereotype is slowly starting to slip with people and like you said going back to what you said with the millennials that yeah i agree um it'll be interesting to see once they come of age and it's not just divorce, it's just a fierceness that these younger girls are, it's being imparted to them from birth. That's all they know is to believe in themselves and to, mm -hmm. to take care of themselves and not rely on others the way that permeated my culture growing up. I mean, whether it was spoken or not, you saw it. Mm -hmm. And I think you did such a good job making the readers hate Kevin that even though oh, yeah. it, it felt sorry. like something might be off about Adrian, but you didn't know what yet, but you just didn't want her with that guy. So anything. <laughs> <laughs> anything because, seemed like an improvement, and yet. <laughs> seriously, because at first I was just like, like, okay, put the remote control down and like do something with your family. Like, come on. But then it got into like the physical stuff and all of a sudden he had this anger that you didn't really see before. And it's like, okay, well, clearly you are a bad human being. But, <laughs> but then he changed and like, and you know, after everything and he, he started making these changes and it's kind of like, well, why couldn't you have changed for her? But I mean, it worked out because he probably wouldn't have even if they had, you know, Try to work I don't think out. I don't think he would have for her. I think he needed that shock in order mm -hmm. to evolve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's I think that's something that um, is a danger of having strong female characters right from the very bit get go, um, because I think for a person to be a strong person, whether they're male or, male or female, um, they need to go through this journey. Like Hope goes through the journey, and um, now, I don't know if you've, uh, from, in recent articles and stuff, a lot of people have been dismissive of the romance genre. I'm assuming that kind of, <laughs> I can see from the smile, you're like, yeah, that annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you think books like this, um, 
Well, I mean, obvious question, I suppose. Books like this uh, serve a greater purpose, and is this a you know helps elevate the romance genre? I hope so. I hope it's not just you know a lot of the reviews again that I've been seeing are well, this isn't your typical romance novel. This isn't what I was planning on reading. So hopefully they're not just dismissing it as it's not really a romance novel. Well, I would consider definitely consider it a romance novel myself. Um, I would put it in there, but it's almost. It's a psychotic it's romance. Lost. It's a real romance. Yeah, that's true. Romance is messy and can be psychotic. Um, yes. Anybody who's ever been married before can tell you that. Um, <laughs> but um, it's got a almost a fable almost like it's got that moral to it um yes there's a very uh, strong message which is yeah. the power of choosing yourself and when she learned to choose herself finally it elevated the people around her too so it was mm -hmm. important she do that for her children for her mm -hmm. husband and mm -hmm. maybe even for adrian maybe it was good for him i don't know <laughs> Not that we care about him. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, after a particular scene towards the end of that book, um, <laughs> I I, uh, I have some choice things that can happen to Adrian that involve sacks and, and pliers and, and all sorts of fun things. But that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> As I, I hit that point, and I, I mean, are we are we doing spoilers? Are we not doing spoilers? Um. <laughs> I would say we let's do spoilers, but not say exactly. Okay, exactly. how about this? Semi okay, here is Yeah, okay, so we're gonna do a spoiler. We're gonna give you everybody who doesn't want to hear the spoiler some time to turn things off and start the Jeopardy music <laughs> now. <laughs> okay. Spoilers. All right. So when I, this very rarely happens that I am ahead of Diana in a book, but I was ahead of her, um, and I I hit the part with Maui, and and I as soon as I I read that part, I texted her. I said, "This book is really gonna piss you off." <laughs> so because I have this thing where dogs I, are sacred. Yes. So last year uh, we had. Chad Thuman on the show. This year. Um, yeah, with the book of the Undesirables. And we also had him, he was a guest for Book of the Oral last year. And he and I had not met face to face yet. And I start reading his book. And he's one of the main characters in his book is a dog. Set in World War II. Set in Russia, where Germany is just kicking ass in Russia. And I message him going, so this dog of yours, it's not gonna die, right? Because you and I are gonna have issues if this dog dies. And he's like- Now we might have lived. <laughs> yeah, so he was just like, um, okay, so I don't wanna give away spoilers, but yet I don't wanna tell you what's gonna happen to the dog, but yet we haven't met yet, so I don't wanna be angry with you. <laughs> or you can be angry with me, so, um, yeah, <laughs> I totally set him up for that. So yeah, when she warned me about Maui, I was like, okay, time to mentally prepare myself for this. Okay. <laughs> Hence why Adrian is going to go through a very, very 
um, special place to tell. Yes. In the theaters and play with small children in wrong ways. Um, <laughs> I like this. <laughs> I'm write this in the next book. <laughs> Where Adrian goes and what happens to Adrian. Oh, it'll be a fun fantasy novel. I see a wild take on Dante's Inferno. I like it. <laughs> and like a pit stop to uh, the Wonder Woman's Island. What is it called? With all the Amazon women who could just like totally dominate him and he would not like that. No. He likes to be in control. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's kind of, you can, you can relate to Hope to a certain extent because like I'm, I'm the type of person that wants to always see the best in people. So I, you know, if I were in her shoes and he was coming back and apologizing, I would want to believe him and I would want to trust him and I would want to give him a second chance. Mm -hmm. But I mean, after the dog, probably not. But oh, after the dog, I'd be running after him like an old <laughs> with a frying pan. Um. <laughs> but it takes a lot of willpower to say no. Like even if you love someone and even if you want it to work out, but you know that it can't, it takes a lot of strength to either shut the door or not open the door or ignore a text message. So even if she thinks that she's not strong at all and she thinks that she has to start from scratch, I think she's actually starting well ahead of where she thinks she is because she had the strength to walk away from everything. I agree. I think by the end she, she's, she's traveled her journey and she is so much stronger than she realizes. And the note that, um, is it Michael wrote to her at the end when at the airport, I was crying when I was reading that. <laughs> like, and, and crying, I don't cry that often at books, but reading that note, I was like, I just put mascara on. Oh, I love <laughs> it when I make my readers cry. Thank you. <laughs> We're a twisted bunch of people, writers. We're like, oh, you cried? Yes. That's the ultimate compliment. <laughs> Because sometimes when we're writing stuff, we're crying as we're writing it, and oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> if, so, if you're not feeling it, who else is going to feel it? <laughs> yeah, there's that saying. I think is I think it was a James Joyce saying. Uh, no tears for the writer, no tears for the reader. I love that. So yeah, true. And that's something. Yeah, because I I hold to it that if I'm not crying, if I'm not moved to tears, if I'm not feeling like crap after I've written something really emotional, then the other person's not going to feel that too. And it, it goes for so much of the, sto of the stories. Yes. And the whole point of telling stories, obviously the, the ultimate reason is that we are teaching lessons, but beyond that, we want to evoke emotion. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what art does. If you don't evoke emotion, you haven't done your job. Exactly. That's why I'm a fan of all art, no matter how crappy it is. Um, my father and I got into an argument about that once because I was defending Hamilton and he hates Hamilton. And I was like, all art is wonderful. And he was like, no, it's not. And I'm like, yes, it is, because it has to evoke something and therefore there is a beauty in it. And Well, and if it, if it doesn't evoke an emotion, then maybe it's not real art. 
Exactly. I like the way you think. This is why you're my editor. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we I'm, work so well together. Yes, we do. <laughs> I can't wait to get to the end of your book. I want to know the end. I'm so in love with your main character. Uh, don't Google it. I will warn you that. Oh, um, okay. I won't. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend who was a beta reader for me who Googled it. She was, she makes a point of never, like if it's a historical fiction book, she will not Google it to find out what happens. But she was about all, you know, to a point where characters start dying off. You're at a point where I've been introducing these characters. Right. They're not all that long. Um, well, you're spoiling it. I'm already, fi I mean, as soon as you said don't Google it, I figured out what I'm not supposed to know. <laughs> but. Yeah, so, well, I mean, you know, there's a war going on in the book, so, you know. Um, yeah. But she, so she, but she breaks her rule and she Googles it. And I get a text from her going, I hate you. I, I hate you right now. I really hate you. Good, and I was you like, emotion. <laughs> I did, yeah, because she was like, I Googled the ending to your story, and I hate you. <laughs> so I was like, I'm I won't sorry. And she was even yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I we are at, we're at our 30 minutes. That went by fast. That went by super fast. Oh, my gosh. Well, you're welcome to hang out with us while we talk about um, Mary Ballmer's book. Yeah. Want? Yes, okay. I don't I don't know about it, but I'll throw in some thoughts as we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Michelle, do you have your copy there? Because I left mine downstairs. I do. So our book of the month is Reliance Illinois by mm -hmm. Mary Vollmer. Um I definitely Googled Reliance Illinois on Google Maps to see if it exists. And then I read the author's note that says it does not exist, so that's why it didn't show up on any maps. Um, but I'm, I'm not too far into it, so, and I think I might be a little bit ahead of you, but just to kind of recap and to give Holly an idea of where we are, it's set in the 1800s, post-Civil War, mm -hmm. um, and a mother and daughter have come to Reliance, Illinois, because the mother basically responded to um, an ad in uh, a, like, uh, marital correspondence. Yeah. It was so, like 19th century eHarmony. Uh, yeah. Determined. Single um, white male seeking single white female for companionship and housekeeping and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. so, so mom shows up. He thinks it's just mom. Mom catfishes him. And she shows up with her daughter and tells him her daughter is her sister. And mom's a very, very pretty thing. And our main character, um, and I'm blanking on everybody's name. What's our main character's name again, Michelle? Mother is Rebecca and daughter is Madeline. Thank you. So Madeline has a birthmark that goes down the whole her whole body from about her cheekbone and eye level, roughly, just a hole down one side of her body. Uh, so she's not considered the prettiest of things. Uh, especially compared to her mother, who is quite pretty, uh, quite forceful. And last week, I was not liking her very much. Uh, how about you, Michelle? Are you okay? <laughs> I was going to ask Michelle, how about you? What about uh, your thoughts? Were you, you were kind of liking her. You were understanding her more. 
Then well, I hold on one. I'm, I'm gonna just time out for a second because my husband is growling at me and I haven't seen him in 17 hours. I'm gonna give him a quick kiss before he goes to bed. Okay, so I will discuss. Um, so last week, I wasn't liking her, and then <laughs> <laughs> so this week, um. After reading a little bit more, we learn about the sacrifices that she actually, the mom actually makes, and that kind of softened on the mom. He made me blush. Aww. Sorry. <laughs> um, was it a good kiss? It, it, was a, it was a cute, you know, he works seven days a week, and I see him, like, for two minutes in the morning, and he's so cranky in the morning that I really can't talk to him at all. So... We really just like exchange like five sentences at night before he goes to bed. Yeah, my uh, husband this morning, by the way, woke me up at three o'clock this morning because my yeah. husband works nights. And at three o'clock this morning, I heard this pounding and I thought, oh my God, for some reason he can't get in the house. And I go stumbling down the stairs, my phone in hand, thinking, why doesn't he have his keys? I go into the kitchen and he's actually trying to get, he, he made himself garlic spaghetti, but instead of putting actual regular pepper in, you know the uh, Mexican chili and lime pepper? The seasoning? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's putting that in his spaghetti. And he, it's like... Like it's, pounding the, the can? Yes, and that's what I was hearing. That's what woke me up. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, you can't get the pepper out. And I'm like, you do know that's like the chili seasoning. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, your poor spaghetti. And I go stumbling over, curl up on the couch, and go back to sleep while he's <laughs> until he's ready to go to bed. He pulls me upstairs, but yeah, I understand what you deal with with the husbands showing up randomly. Um, but yeah, so you were saying that you softened on the mom a little bit. I kind of flipped, <laughs> and I don't. Ha have you read about the backroom men yet? Yes, I've gotten to the part okay. where we just met William, and I think after Holly's book and after Mrs. Parrish, uh, or the last Mrs. Parrish, I'm like, this guy better not be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the whole, she, she starts I, learning. You're um, smile there, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> she starts, you, you start reading or learning a little bit more about their backstory and what their life was before. So... It's really interesting, like, this woman takes her in, and you find out that when her mother got pregnant, she was only 13 years old. So I'm trying, in my head, I'm trying to do the math to figure out how old. She's probably, like, what, 26, 27 now, maybe 30? Mm -hmm. So this woman took this pregnant 13-year-old in and kind of, like, adopted them and, and let them stay there. And then when she, the Madeline, when the daughter was around eight, these men would kind of like pass by and just like leave, bring things to the house. So they would bring like meat or vegetables or dry goods or whatever. And she and the woman Dot would be like, oh, thank you so much for this meat. But it's too bad we don't have any sugar to give you. And then the mom just takes the guy into the back room and all of a sudden we have sugar. So I don't really know like how I feel about Dot, the woman who takes her in. Like, are you, are you just pimping out this like 20 year old girl who has a daughter? Like, I, I don't, is that common? 
I think this goes back to the discussion that we were having earlier. Um, a woman's got to do what a woman's got to do to take care of herself. And prior to the modern age, you didn't have that many options if you are not married. Yes, uh, but like, I, mean, I don't know. So, and I really do hope that William is, I have a feeling William is going to be good. I, that's my gut feeling. So what are your thoughts, Holly? So now that we've caught you up, um, what are your thoughts on this whole uh, backroom thing? I agree with you. I think women didn't have a lot of options, especially if they weren't married. And it does sound like she was pimping her out. She probably took her in. And, you know, now there's two more mouths to feed besides her own. Mm -hmm. And how, yes, I think you do what you got to do. Mm -hmm. That's true, actually. Now that when you say it from that way, when you're looking at it from Dot's point of view, all of a sudden she does have, you know, this teenager and her daughter. Well, no, and that's. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, teenager and daughter. I was thinking of Madeline being a teenager. Um, and, you know, and I don't know if this even correlates, but it reminds me of Maya Angelou. I was really surprised to learn that she had been um, a madam. And really? she had been a she had been a prostitute before all of her great success. When she wow. was poor and struggling, she um she was a prostitute, and then she moved down to San Diego and became a madam. Hmm. So wow. this incredibly strong, wise woman came from a place where she was doing what she felt she had to do. She was using only resources she had or believed that she had at the time. Mm -hmm. I did not know that about Maya Angelou. I didn't either until I started researching, and at first I was angry and disappointed, and then the more I thought about it, I thought, no, she evolved. Mm -hmm. Just like all the really strong women had to evolve, and she did not have a strong skill set when she was younger. So she did what she needed to do. She had a young son, and she needed to provide for him. And her, the thing that was most important to her was not to rely on others. And so she did what she had to to take care of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that speaks to the resourcefulness of Rebecca, where she's got this child that she's going to need to take care of, and it helps see things in a whole other light. Where she's, you know, she's doing, she's doing this technically in front of her daughter, though her daughter, her daughter knows what's going on. And now, and you know, she's doing it to put food on the table. She's doing it so that the kids got a roof over her head. Rebecca doesn't read or write, either within the first two chapters, but yet Madeline does. She's all, so she's already setting it up so that Madeline has a better life than she does, and it brings the previous few, two chapters into a more forgiving light for her because then now she's she's pushing for a step up in their situation so that she doesn't have to continue to whore herself out uh, to random men and she could be a proper lady and her daughter could have a chance to have a proper future. And, what's, <laughs> and I feel like she, I mean, she's doing all this and she's probably going above and beyond for her daughter because we haven't mentioned that Madeline has a, um, birthmark that covers like half her face so she she's not disfigured but she looks different than everyone else and of course I mean even today anyone who's different gets picked on and ostracized and 
you know, shunned by everyone, but even more so back then, you know, a woman, if she wasn't pretty, she had fewer prospects. So she's probably, Rebecca's probably going above and beyond to provide for her daughter, knowing that it's going to be even harder for her to provide for herself um, when she has to be on her own. So I guess, I guess I can see it from Rebecca's side. I guess. Have we Rebecca yet? I'm. I don't know. I. I'm just as as a mom. I. I don't think I could disown my daughter in that way and say that she's not my daughter. She's my sister, and tell her you can't call me mom and you can't you can't treat you're me. At it like in the twenty first century lens. No, I know, but I don't think I don't think that. I don't think that's particular to like this century, but I I think it's, and I, I know why she did it. She did it to protect her daughter and make sure she can get sent away. But at the same time, I don't know if I could do that. And I, <laughs> I think you could, I think you do what you got to do. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not a mom yet, but I, I know from, you know, having a mother who worked two jobs and busted her ass for me, you do what you got to do to take care of your kid. And if it means you lie for to, to and tell people that she's your sister, um, you do it. And I don't think it ever the age difference really clicked for me. And but if she was only thirteen when she had her, they could pass better as sisters. Yeah, so we kind of have a weird Gilmore girl, girl situation going on here. Exactly, but just statutory probably. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. So, but that's, I mean, and William, and I'm reading the back of the book now, so, because uh, Choosing Hope has taught me to go back and reread the back of the book before I start reading the story. And it kind of sounds like William is going to be the love interest for Madeline, which I was not expecting when he's first introduced because Rebecca is supposed to be this great beauty. She's, you know, like long, dark hair and big, dark eyes and blah, blah, blah. I saw it. So, but I mean, I kind of saw it as like a sister brother type thing. Oh, come on. When she, when he walks in and enters into the scene, you, you literally see Madeline, getting slightly girly in her narration she gets that that little bit of a giddy the narration slightly changes where i mean i think that if mary could write it in that she was giggling like a little schoolgirl, she would be giggling like a little schoolgirl. but i am interested to know how the connection is between him and uh, what is his name lyman Dreyfus. yeah because he walked in and called his mother, mother. Mm -hmm. But then they started talking about, oh, you're an artist and your mother wouldn't have been proud about that or something about it. Insinuating that being an artist had some effect on the demise of his mother. So are they cousins? Are they half brothers? Are they father son? I don't think they're father and son because Oh, maybe. Oh, I mean, is it one of those terms where where Mari is uh, considered the, as mo as mother and grandmother? No, mm -hmm. I mean, 
as far as like in German, no. Well, that's but, right. You speak a little German, don't you? Yeah, but like, I mean, in 19th century German, maybe, but the German that I know, no. Like, that's mom. He called her mom. But I don't know. Maybe it was like a playful mom, like a, hey, I've hey, known you since I was born, and you're basically like my second mom, so I'm going to call you mom. Or is it like how I call your mom, mom? Right? So... I mean, it's very, there are a lot of variables going on here. <laughs> I don't like variables. And do we have any fantasy casting ready for, for this book yet? This is, Holly, this is a big part of our process. We do fantasy casting where Ooh. we cast actors and actresses into the roles for our characters. Based oh my on. gosh! Can you do it for Choosing Hope? I want to know who you pick. Yeah, I was just actually going to think, maybe we should do it for Choosing Hope. Um, I think we should do it for Choosing Hope. Yes, okay, okay. Hope. Because I'm still considering for, um, for, for Reliance. Um, I think um, I have the actor in my mind, hold on, for Adrian. <laughs> and, and he's, I just, no. I just, no, hold on. He's Hispanic, isn't he? Am I correct in that assumption? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. I thought so. Because um, I'm, I want somebody, I'm thinking in my head, somebody not, somewhere in between Ricky Martin and the guy who plays the Punisher on Netflix. Um, though he might be good because he's, the guy who plays the Punisher on Netflix, he was also in um, The Walking Dead. He was. I would even say <laughs> Benicio del Toro for Adrian. Ooh, yeah, like I like that. Like he can pass as like a fighter, and he's rugged, and like I could definitely see him angry. <laughs> I kind of see. I can kind of see Katie Holmes for Hope. Oh, oh that's a good one. That is a good one. I was thinking <laughs> Natalie Portman. But I like Katie Holmes for that. Natalie Portman has the the like girl next door, like the 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 mom look because like mm -hmm. she's just like kind of like an ordinary California housewife too. And she, she's like, tiny. Hope is very tiny and mm -hmm. brown hair. Mm -hmm. Is who I had in mind writing her. Yeah, and I was thinking with Katie, she's kind of gone through, I don't want to say a similar situation as she, as Hope, but like kind of where she got rid of a really crazy dude. Yeah, own, Yeah. So she kind of went. I mean, she was. And who, who for Kevin? I'm trying to figure out who, who I would say for Kevin. I'm, I'm Googling actors right now to see if, if I no, could. Pinpoint the face. Okay, and while you're doing that, I want to look up The Punisher from Netflix to see. <laughs> My only problem with Benicio Del Toro is he's a little old for the part. That is true. But maybe he could be like a younger Benicio. Yeah, because this is fantasy casting, so we can yeah. rewind it like 10, 15 years if we have to. That would completely work. Oh, yes. Um, I would even say maybe like a younger Patrick Dempsey for Kevin. That could work. I don't know. 
Or you know who I've been on a kick for casting for stuff is Matthew Good. Who? Okay, so Matthew Good is um, okay. By the way, okay. Side note: the Punisher is John Bernthal. Uh, you know John him as Punisher, and then he was also Shane in The Walking Dead. Um, oh. He also, he's got that military look about him. He could. I think he could pull off um, Adrian quite well. So good. That would. He's a good Adrian. That is. That is Adrian. Okay. Just from Shane from The Walking Dead because right, right. So he fits that. I want to hate you at by the end of this book, kind of, kind of thing. Oh yeah, I just <laughs> looked him up. <laughs> that oh, works. Call me because I need to start working for a casting agency. <laughs> so I'm thinking Matthew Good, and it's Good spelled G O O D E. Um. He's going to be in now. He might not be available for this because he's going to be in the Discovery of Witches series, um, which and, uh, we will allow only because yeah. I'm assuming this is going to be a movie, so this is going to be one off. So he can do it in the off season when he's not filming for Discovery of Witches. Um, he also does a show that I love called The Wine Show, which is like, um, oh, what's the car show? Um, uh, Top Gear. It's Top Gear for alcoholics. Um, he's perfect, by the way. Here, I, can you see? Yes, he's also right now in The Crown. He plays Princess Margaret's um, husband in The Crown right now. Um, so it's so weird because I'm so used to his voice uh, talking about wine, and he's playing this um, 1960s edgy photographer and um, very dashing, and he looks good in a suit, which I think Kevin would look good in a suit. Um, Definitely. Uh, yeah. So the other the other genius in the imitation game, I just Googled him, and he was the one that I really liked. Yes. See, we love Matthew Good. Um, in my experimental book, I want him in, 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 in there as the main character, so... Wow. I'm going to cast Matthew Good in everything because he likes wine like <laughs> I do. <laughs> if we say his name enough, he'll know that we're talking about him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So who, who is Matthew Good in um, The Lady in Red? Oh, the Woman in Red? I have not casted him. Cast him in Woman in Red, but he is actually, I think he would fit Rossetti. Luigi Rossetti. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Which I mean, the, he's got the kind of looks for Luigi and Luigi Rossetti. It's kind of hard for me because um, I, I, you know, I love doing diverse characters and things. And um, with my characters, I mean, I've got it's going to be obviously a diverse cast, but um, I can't come out and say which characters are gay and which ones aren't. Um, and Luigi is a gay character. Oh, what a nice twist! <laughs> yeah, he. Well, I can't. I can't come out and say it with the character. He's. I started creating this character, and and obviously, as you come across it, and for those of you who eventually read it before I turn forty, um, <laughs> he is. Um, he's this very hoity character. He's very kind of stuffy. He comes off, you know, very prim, very proper, and. And that's how he came into my head as I started to read him and create him. 
And then I was really studying another character, John Griggs's memoir, to really kind of round him out and create, um, I did a whole backstory between him and his girlfriend in the book. And he actually describes Rossetti as being lacy around the collar, which to me, <laughs> and on, on top of that, he said, Rossetti did not belong on the ship. He is the last person he would ever place on a ship. And Griggs is a seasoned sailor. And lights and red flags just went off all over my head because then it made sense to why um, he follows Giuseppe Garibaldi around so much. I mean, everybody loves the character. Everybody wants to follow him. But I think with him, it's almost an unrequited love where he knows this is not going to be a thing. And it also makes sense that that's why Anita uh -huh. can hang out with him so much without any threat. Because I was wondering, I'm like, what, is this going to turn into a love triangle or? But no. Yeah, and needs, needs a gay best friend. Yeah, yeah, well, actually, the two of them are actually It starts to, some of the jealousy starts to creep up. Uh, in the next section that you're going to read, Holly, you're going to see some jealousy come up between the two of them. And it explains a lot of their animosity that they start to have with each other by midpoint in the book. Because uh, they really, um, they had their issues with each other in the story itself. Uh, and then the historical record where Anita was like, he didn't like me at all. He did not like me. He didn't think I belonged on the ship. He didn't think I belonged with Garibaldi. And huh. Rossetti was like this little young thing. And Garibaldi's got all these whims. And this is just another one of his wild tangents. It's going to get us into trouble again. So totally see it so much more clearly now. I really like that. <laughs> It all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's stuff that I try to impart in there. Um, so yeah, and then there's going to be a character that you get introduced to in the last third of the book um, that's asexual. He's androgynous. So you see oh, a little bit of that that lacy. Typically, you're not supposed to introduce new characters that far toward the end of the book. But, but there's exceptions all rules yes and in this case they end up because she ends up going from from brazil to uruguay to italy so i have no choice but to introduce her introduce new characters and there's i limit it though we don't have a whole full new cast it's like a limited cast so, so we, we have, have a multiple few... new characters well okay <laughs> Yeah, I have multiple new characters, and I try my best to uh, end off characters, end off their storylines, so that you know, because it's the whole book is kind of like almost like a saga esque. Like my book would never be just a movie; it would have to be a television series. That's fun. <laughs> I'm excited to read it. <laughs> I'm excited for you to read the next part too, because at that point, after I think after you finish this last this next batch, you're going to be halfway through the book, I think. Yay! Books always pick up about the halfway point. They're, it's like you you spend so much time building, building, building your foundation, and then you can just take off. I'm excited. <laughs> it's and this one's weird because again, it's you have. I think the stakes get raised for Garibaldi and Anita, and Anita okay. comes into yeah. The stakes get raised. Um, 
they try to find normalcy, but they don't, they can't. Good. Um, you need lots of stakes. You need conflict throughout, which you heard the conflict so far has been all about just her getting away from her family and becoming independent. And so that's good that we start to see conflict between them because you'll need that transition to keep driving it. Yeah, you've got the conflict. I mean, you've got the, you've got multiple wars and you've got conflict between them where she's trying to find her place with him and, and <laughs> overarching goals. And then you've got, um, you know, their place with, you know, they start to have a family and her conflicts between being a mother, being what she used to be, um, just all of these little things that come into play. So it's lots of little things. So it's, it's an interesting book. You picked a good topic. <laughs> I'm glad I, I did. It, it became far more than I ever expected it to be. And then the one that I'm actually writing the first draft for now is about Maria Rhoda, who at 16, um, she was the youngest person to ever be in prison in Italy. And it was for starting a riot. Oh, wow. She was an Italian-American anarchist. And she came to, yeah, she came to the United States and she became a prominent member of the anarchy movement in the early 1900s. Um, it was an early feminist. And I mean, if you read a history book, women's history book, she gets maybe a paragraph, if that. Um, and she gets- You're gonna give her a novel. I'm gonna, and I'm gonna give her a novel, a freaking novel. Um, yeah, and people would show up at her um, at her speaking engagements just to listen to her speak, and she refused to speak English. So even if they didn't know what she was saying, they would show up there just to watch her speak. She was so charismatic. Wow. Yeah, and in total, Are there pictures of her. Um, older when she was older, she, there's pictures of her, but the description of her is basically she looked like Snow White. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, and she never actually married. She had a partner, a lifetime partner, and together they had a total of 10 children. What? Eight, yeah, 10 children, eight survived to adulthood. Um, and then they also, on top of having all those kids, she worked in a sweatshop and a silk factory weaving, and she went and did the speaking engagement stuff, and she ran a newspaper, a women's, a women's uh, issues newspaper. Wow. Yeah, all in the early 1900s. She was like the she was a modern woman before um, there was you know modern women, and she, she um, created the role model. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then her famous essay is uh, "Who Knows uh, Suffering More Than a Woman," and in it she goes into um how much women actually suffer and sacrifice for society and they deserve more credit for it absolutely yeah so she's she's the next one that's awesome she was doing all that pregnant most of the time breastfeeding yep, yep. nope <laughs> <laughs> so no. tell me michelle how excited about your kids going to preschool oh my gosh I might cry I will cry <clears throat> but I don't know I don't know what I'll do with all that free time it'll um, fill up like that I know I know I'll actually be able to like do interviews during the day without 
having to take them to daycare. I might actually be able to turn articles in before deadline, which is weird. <laughs> so I don't know. I'll be able to to be a reporter first and then well no, I'll always be a mom first, but you could be a reporter, you could finish that novel you've been working on for how many years now? Like five. <laughs> I'll get there eventually. <laughs> exactly. So you actually have time to do that. So we've already filled out your docket there. <laughs> True. <laughs> I don't have to worry about it because I already know. I can yeah, just drop exactly. the kids off and go to a coffee shop and work and then go pick them up. Mm-hmm. There you go. But just the thought of having like a solid two to three hours of uninterrupted time is like heaven. <laughs> Like, I it just gets better and better. I swear, no matter what other mothers say, I think that kids get easier as they get older. Well, you know, you even you notice little things like now Lily knows how to get in the car, get in her car seat, and put her straps on herself, and it's so much easier. All I have to do is strap Landon in and get in the car and go. Where before I was strapping Landon in and fighting him to get in his car seat and getting Lily and putting her in the car seat and fighting her to strap her in. And there have been times when I'm sure people think that I'm abusing my kid because my kid is like arching her back as far as she can go to get out <laughs> of the car seat. And like you have to put your full weight onto your kid to get them into the car seat. And then hold them there while you're struggling to get a strap around. Then you like snap them in. And you're like, ha, now try to move. <laughs> I had a congressman, like a state congressman, who was doing a speech at an event that I was covering. And if it's like a community event, I can bring, I bring the kids with me because they'll just sit in the stroller while I interview people. And I was walking back to my car, pushing the stroller. And I got to Landon's side of the car and put him in, and he was screaming bloody murder, like like I was torturing him. And this congressman sat there, and I and of course he was parked right next to me, so he had to wait for me to get Landon in his car seat before he could get into his car. Uh-huh. And and I was like, I'm sorry, like I can take him out and we can move, and you can get in your car and go. And he goes. No, it's fine. I remember when mine were that age. And he sat there and talked to Lily and played with her and, like, kept her occupied while I battled my two-year-old. I'm like, whenever you're, like, whatever you're doing, I will vote for you. Like, you have my support because you were patient when other people would be giving me dirty looks. I, you know what? I'd vote for him if he was a Democrat. I don't know what he was, but he was very nice. Not that I'm a raging liberal or anything, but still. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, not at all. Not in this day and age. Especially not if you live in California, because we kind of are the majority here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I had to look up what Illinois was before we moved here. I was like, oh, thank God. <sighs> Yeah, well, honey, don't. Yeah, as long as you don't end up somewhere like Texas, where I where I was. Yeah, Obama came from Chicago. That's true. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know so that until I moved here. I'm not like I didn't follow. I mean, I don't want to get it, but I didn't follow anything really when he was in the White House. I didn't really care. 
to be honest. I know that sounds terrible, but I didn't. And so I, I don't have an opinion on him because I wasn't really paying attention. So I, I have to research now so I can like back my, my statements with facts. <laughs> I think Cory Booker's from Chicago too, I think. I don't know, I got into an argument with my very Republican boss and uh, he was like, oh, he's just like Obama, he's from Chicago. So that may or may not be true, but hey, you know, that's why I like Cory. Chicago is pretty awesome. They opened their uh, American Writers Museum and uh, I haven't gone there yet. I really want to, but it opened this past summer, and they have a whole section dedicated to L. Frank Baum, which is like for Holly. Um, Wizard of Oz is like my 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 book. Oh, I love the Wizard <laughs> of Oz. So I'm dying to see whatever they have dedicated to L. Frank Baum, and I just want to totally fangirl over it and whatever it is. If I can make it out there this year, we need to go. Yeah. This and then we need to go to the bookseller in downtown Chicago where they sell wine in a bookstore. So you can drink wine while you're browsing books. And I'm never going to go to the Art Institute. There's so and much. And a really great literary festival there, too. Yeah, that's in June. June. Yeah. Oh, and they have the uh, food festival there that's incredible. Yes. What is it called? The Taste of Chicago, something like that. I went to it once years ago. My whole family is from Chicago. It's so good. The food there is so good. Yes. So it's you guys need to coordinate your visits, and we'll all <laughs> go tour Chicago and like eat and drink and read our way through the city. I love that. In the yeah. summer. In the it's summer. Fun. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I'm not doing anything in the winter. Yeah. No, you don't leave your house. I don't love you so much that I'm going to go visit you in the winter. I'm just That's saying. okay. <laughs> I wouldn't go. You have to be her. romantically in love with her to go visit her in Chicago in the winter. I mean, I do call her my heterosexual life mate because we do text on average roughly 100 times a day. I don't know. Oh. You and I text you more than I text my husband. <laughs> I text you more than I text my husband too. <laughs> you know some things about going on, what's going on in my life sometimes before my husband does. Um, <laughs> Same. Same. Yeah. So I mean. Yeah. But anyway. You in the winter. To veer this back, um, <laughs> we we have uh, hit our hour. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll wrap it up for the evening. But thank you so much, Holly, for coming. I'm so glad you stuck around to chat with us because it was so much fun. Me too. Yes. Me too. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And um, are we we have someone next week, right? Don't we? We have someone? No, we don't. It's, it's just us next week. All right. Well, if you so if you want a third friend. <laughs> <laughs> You are always welcome. You're part of the Wine, Women, and Words family now. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Ooh, and, uh, that. Sure that. Oh. Hey, I'm all out, but yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't like. I'm careful not to be hungover on Fridays. Um, I've done that too much since we've started the show. Um, yeah, but, I have to, be, I have to wake meantime, up early tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Uh, in the meantime, pick up Choosing Hope. Available pretty much everywhere, right, Holly? Yes. Yes. And 
Um, if you don't pick up Choosing Hope uh, between now and March, uh, you can pick it up at Boca de Oro in March at the Santa Ana Literary Festival. Or, and or if you've already picked it up, you can come to the Literary Festival, bring your copy with, of it uh, with you and make Holly sign it because I'm just going to say that she's going to sign books whether she <laughs> wants to or not. Because <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to turn down the opportunity to sign a book for somebody. Yes. <laughs> We're too narcissistic for that. <laughs> Truth. I mean, I'm all, I already practiced my signature for when someone wants me to sign their my book. Like, sure. Do we want like the dramatic signature or the like very OCD like tight script signature? There, there's so many options to go with. There are. I think I practiced my um, book autograph more than I practiced my married name when I got married. So I mean. You know, priorities, people. <laughs> <laughs> and keep reading Reliance, Illinois by Mary Vollmer. She will be with us at the end of the month. Um, so if you have questions, send them in to us, and we'll be sure to ask her when she joins us. Yes. And have a good night, everyone. Good night. Bye. Good night. <laughs>